0: I was going to tell you who I was, too, so thank you, though. Just a stranger popping up here preaching the sermon. I know that normally doesn't happen, but why don't we pray? Ask God to bless our time together. Gracious God, thank you so much for bringing us together here this new year. We know with it is a new beginning, and you make us new creations in your Son, our Savior. Give us attentive minds and hearts to hear your word, and just do your great transformational work through it. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Pastor Bauer said, uh, I serve as president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I don't assume that any of you even understand what that means. Some of you do. Uh, the Missouri Synod is a national church body. There's 6,000 congregations. Here in Texas, we have 4,000 congregations. So it's a subset of the national organization. And my, uh, you're one of those congregations, one of the 400. And so my calling is to help resource and encourage and equip and keep congregations accountable as well so there are the 400 congregations you have one of the early childhood centers as well there are 127 schools and I think there's probably close to 4,000 church workers in the uh, Texas district as well but our primary focus in Texas is something you're intimately engaged in it is to reach people with Jesus to share the good news of the gospel And one way we do that is exactly how you got started. Your founding pastor was here last week, right? Pastor Van Duser. He was a church planter and he planted this church. How many of you are charter members? Anyone charter member here? All right, we've got a few charter members. So one of the most effective ways to reach communities is through new communities, new faith communities, new churches. Because a lot of times when a church has been around for a while, friendships develop, there's not a lot of bandwidth for new friendships or new space. So, one focus we have in Texas is to continue to start new congregations and continue to start new ways of reaching new communities, new cultures, new generations with the good news of Jesus. And so, over the past 15 years, the Texas district, working with congregations, has started one new church every six weeks. And that's something? God is really good. God is blessing us. And with that, thousands upon thousands of people have been hearing the good news of Jesus. It's remarkable. The stories are amazing. People from around the world who come to Texas, you know, the world is coming to Texas. They should, right? It's a good place. But uh, God is bringing so many people here. And just to see people confess faith in Jesus and be baptized, former atheists from places like China, other places in Asia, the Middle East, to have uh, ministries in the Texas district speaking uh, more than 15 languages in worship, African immigrants. It's just amazing what's going on. And I want to say that you're, you're really, I want to thank you. Because you as a congregation, as a church plant that has grown and flourished in this community, are very much invested in our partnership together. You know, a district is an apostolic model. When all the believers brought what they had, laid them at the apostles' feet so they could give to those who had in need. That's what we do as a district. We have all the congregations contribute resources. Just uh, what we say is if you could tithe to the district as a congregation, what we'll do is pool those resources and then do more than any one of us could do alone. And so that's what we do. And we pour those resources into mission. Single-handedly, because of your gifts and contributions, in in 2019, single-handedly, you're responsible for training a church planter and starting a new church. You've done that just because of your gifts. So I want to thank you for the blessings you pour out in faith to contribute to this great cause. And we're praying that a movement of the gospel sweeps across Texas and beyond. I know your reach in mission from little children to this community and around the world is amazing. So thank you for doing that, and it's a joy to walk with you. It's great to celebrate a new, new year with you. We're still in the Christmas season. Tomorrow's Epiphany Day, so we kind of overlap a little bit. We're going to talk about it a little bit. I hope you had a joyous time together with family. Uh, I'm from San Antonio. My wife and I live there. Our two daughters live in Texas. They married Texas boys, so they're here to stay. They live out in the country. My younger daughter has cows and all kinds of animals on there. They both live in the country. It's amazing. And uh, it's just great. They each have a a child. So our granddaughter, our oldest daughter, has an eight-and-a-half-year-old little girl. She's been staying with us for the week So that's why I just milked all the time I could. We went to church together last night at my home congregation. I drove out here this morning. My younger daughter and her husband have a little boy just three months old. So that's been a lot of fun too. So God has blessed us. We had a nice time together as family. But if we're all going to be honest, you've got to be honest about the fact that Christmas time is not just all peace on earth, goodwill to men, joy to the world, right? I mean, wish it was so. But this is also the time of year when the stress and anxiety level elevate in many, many ways. Spending, time, cooking, preparing, family relationships, there's a lot of anxiety going on. There's also a lot of anxiety that happens this time of year because uh, it's just a time of year where I don't know if you, any of you have the Christmas blues, but. You remember your loved ones who you've lost. Some of you have lost them just a short time ago and it was a real hard time over Christmas. Uh, Some of you look back and remember that. You remember perhaps wounds from the past, how you wish Christmases would have been, maybe some friendships. Some of you are hurting because of a job loss or you don't like your job and things aren't really going well. A lot of that swoops in over the holidays as well. And honestly, that's how Christmas began, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It was a time of great worry, anxiety, and stress. Suddenly Mary saw an angel, and the announcement of the birth happened. That was stressful. Then Joseph had to navigate logistics with his fiancé who was expecting a baby. That was not easy. High level of anxiety and worry for him. Then they had to make the trek to Bethlehem, which wasn't easy, and once they got there, Joseph didn't make a reservation, as most men think they can live without, <laughs> and they couldn't find a place, and so she was Mary's ready to give birth, and they ended up being in a barn, a stable, and imagine that, giving birth in a stable to the Savior of the world. Well then, switch scenes to the... Countryside And the shepherds are scared stiff because a whole bunch of angels appear to them. It says they were sore afraid, right? Filled with fear. This was not a happy thing. They didn't know what was going on. And they made the trek to see the baby. And to top it all off, here we have an epiphany. The wise men follow the star. They go to Herod and inquire where this child was born. And Herod does not react very well. He feels like there's a threat and decides to put all of the young children in Bethlehem to death. And so Joseph and Mary were warned about it. They had to flee again. They were refugees in Egypt because of the murderous threats. The first Christmas was no picnic. This was a time of great anxiety and great stress, so you're not alone. And maybe some of the residual stress is happening in your life even this morning. Maybe you came in here with some burdens that you've, you said, gosh, it's a new year, but I've got the old junk that I'm still wrestling with. I've got the relationship struggles, I'm worried about my kids, got some family things going on, some jobs, some friends, and even in church. Anxiety, stress, next steps, where do we go from here, how do we handle it all? This is the real Christmas. This is the real epiphany. And that's the question, right? How do you handle it all? So let's talk about that. We're going to have a meeting after church to talk about other logistics. But Let's talk about the answer to anxiety. So I want to show you a picture on the screen I took at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Did you know there was a Museum of the Bible? just opened a couple of years ago. One of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, former seminary professors, Dr. Jeff Kloha, is the chief curatorial officer of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. This is an effort of some visionary Christian leaders and business people across the country. For instance, Hobby Lobby is really behind this a lot, the owner of Aunt Annie's pretzels and all kinds of things. Christian business people said, let's highlight the Scriptures and show people the beauty and wonder of the Scriptures. All people in the world. So it's really kind of a unique place. And they have amazing displays. And I mean, it takes more than a day. Interactive things that kids would even enjoy, like Disney World or something. It's really something along with some uh, great archaeological displays showing you the truth, the veracity of the scriptures, the trek through time, how it's impacted people in history. You can even sit in a little cubicle where you listen to a bunch of rock tunes through the ages that have biblical themes that we just take for granted. So it's a really remarkable place. This is a brand new sculpture, a little dark, we'll we'll move in a little bit in a second, but this is a brand new sculpture, this is the clay version that was sculpted live in December before Christmas of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus, the Holy Family. I thought it was really a moving sculpture. Let's look at the close-up right away at the next slide, just so you can see a little more. A little better there. Right in the middle, Mary is embracing the baby Jesus. And so it really is something. You see them huddled around the baby Jesus. It's like almost an oval shape that they're huddling around this newborn Savior. This gives us some clues about the answer to anxiety on one hand you look at this sculpture and you see anxiety they're bent over you know this this is not an easy trek, not an easy deal and i think you notice the anxiety in mary and joseph particularly when you listen to this, the gospel reading for today didn't you suddenly jesus parents lost him Now, talk about parental responsibility here. You know, given the gift of the Son of God, they couldn't find Him. They went a day journey thinking, well, I thought the other guys had Him. And they didn't know where He was. So imagine, now, you know, one from a parent perspective, where is my child? And of course, from their perspective with all the things revealed to them, oh no, did we mess up God's plan already? It's a huge burden. So just the real worry of not knowing where your child is is too much to bear. Some of you have been in that situation. I think I heard in the children's sermon that that happened to some of you. So uh, that's not an easy thing. It's a horrible thing to wonder if your child is okay, to wonder if there's any danger. So they went off on a search. The anxiety level was high. It took longer than they probably planned on. They didn't know if they were going to find Jesus. And that's how it goes when someone is lost. So finally, finally they found him of all places in the temple, talking to the elders and teachers of the law. And you heard what Mary said, right? Did she say, Oh, holy one of Israel, God has blessed me. Did it, is that what she said? No, she responded like any mother. Son, do you know what you and your father and I have been doing? We've been looking all over for you. It says they were greatly distressed. Look how, how, Why have you treated us this way, Mary said. So right away, Mary let her anger cut loose on Jesus. She showed her worry and distress right away. So one response you can have to anxiety, to fear, to trial and trouble and struggle as a church, as an individual, as a family member, as a parent, husband and wife, grand and grandpa, as a neighbor, coworker, one one reaction you can have is you can become really, really good at grumbling. You can't. You can embrace negativity and bitterness. And you and I are good at that. That's kind of a go-to, right? We're fallen people. We're sinners. And so our go-to is typically... Like what you saw Mary do, lash out, grumble. You can grumble in the voice in your head, just, you know, really give it to everybody. I should have, would have said it, you know, in your head. You can grumble out loud to others and be very negative about any situation. You can lash out in anger when things take place and make that a habit in your life where you just blast away without thinking. You can pull back from others and cut off relationships. You can be a a negative, bitter person. And like I said, that's something you and I are good at. That's one response to anxiety you and I can have. And Mary showed it. Joseph showed it. You could do that as a church. You can say, if something bad happens, something we didn't expect, something where I feel wounded, You can pull away. You can grumble to your neighbors and spread stuff all around. You can complain to yourself. You can can get mad at God and say, forget it, you've let me down again. And by doing that, if you and I get good at grumbling, you and I show the world something. We show the world that that maybe God really isn't on His throne. That maybe Jesus really can't be trusted. You see? You see? If you and I turn inward and embrace negativity and let Satan's little whispers that God really isn't in control and he can't really save you or redeem any situation, let his whispers take hold. It not only poisons your own soul, hurts your neighbor, but it also puts your light under a bushel to the community. So that's one option, getting good at grumbling. You may be sitting here right now thinking, oop, I'm a grumbler or maybe you're thinking about that the per- that about the person next to you <laughs> you may know some grumblers some people who are very negative all the time i've known some now i'm not taking myself away from that cuz that's my go-to as well you know i have plenty of fault but i know some people who have practiced negativity their whole lives and you know what happens when you practice something you get really really good at it and i remember sitting with a woman when I would make shut-in visits and bring communion to places. And she was in a nursing home. And I remember thinking, she has practiced negativity her entire life. And she has really, really gotten good at it. And I thought, I don't want that to happen to me. So there's another option. Now it's not an option that we conjure up on our own. But it is another option, and this we see in Mary and Joseph as well. After... They lashed out after they said, you put your father, we went through so much. They were greatly distressed. What in the world? This is the worst thing in the world. Life is crumbling. After that, we hear in the text that they went home. That they started walking the walk God had given them as Jesus submitted Himself to them as parents. And we hear Mary treasured all these things up in her heart. Now you know what was happening there. Suddenly Mary and Joseph said, wait a minute, what we need to do is give God a chance. So you could get good at grumbling or you could get good, this is the second response, at blessing, being a person who blesses. You could be a person who grumbles or a person who blesses. What am I talking about? What does it mean to bless? Blessing is God doing his doing in your life. You receive the blessing of the Lord at the end of a worship service. We bless children in Holy Communion. What we're doing is we're not wishing something. We're bringing God's gift, God's doing into the situation, into your life. That's what it means to be a person who blesses. You give God a chance. You walk with Him. So a couple of ways you can become a person of blessing is instead of first to grumble, complain, and be bitter is first to pray. To pray. So, uh, you lift your life up to the Lord. You cast your cares upon Him. Instead of carrying it all yourself, you release it to Him. If you're mad at somebody, disappointed in someone, hurt by someone, you say, Lord, take this person. Do something good with them. I can't carry that burden on my shoulders. I don't even know what to do. You take them and take all the feelings along with them. You pray, you lift up people to the Lord, you cast your cares upon the Lord, you ask the Lord to bless them, to bless the situation, to figure it out, instead of you trying to figure it all out. And when you bless, when you bring someone to the Lord, when you cast your cares upon Him, when you take... The, the, the questions you have that you don't know answers to and say, Lord, you take this and carry this. You have bigger shoulders than I do. You can do it more than I can. That's also the first step of forgiveness. Forgiveness means you don't carry around a toxic, toxic soup of bitterness in your heart and soul. Instead, you continue to just drain it away to the one who can carry it on his shoulders. So you pray. I remember when... Uh, particular time in my life, my kids were teenagers, all right, so now they're 30 and 29, this is a while ago, they were teenagers, and uh, I don't know, maybe it's easy for some people, teenage years, but it wasn't that great for us, it was tough, it was a struggle, I remember saying, yeah, that, that was a tough decade, you know, hard to be hated as a father for a decade, always being wrong, you know, for that long. But it was tough, and so home life was not all hunky-dory all the time, and my wife and I have always tried to cultivate a great home, but boy, it was tough. And I remember going on my morning runs, I like to run, going on my morning runs, and I remember cycling through my mind a whole bunch of grumbling, complaining, and would have, should have, could have, and you know, just, just. Foul kind of stuff going through my mind because I was mad and disappointed and oh, trust was broken and I'm never gonna again and you know, all that stuff flowing through my mind. And I remember at one point, this is a Holy Spirit moment, he knocked me in the side of the head and he said, What are you doing? What are you doing? Holding on to all this stuff, letting that poison seep into your heart, rehearsing statements that do no good to anybody, just hurt instead of bless. So what you should be doing instead of having the voice in your head cycle a bunch of toxic bitterness, you you need to have the voice in your head pray. Pray for goodness for those teenagers. Lift them up before the Lord. Ask God to do His work. Treasure it up in your heart and watch Him and trust Him. And my grumbling turned to praying. And it was just a lifesaver. It saved that season of life because I had a refuge and strength and I could say, God, you got to figure this out. you got to show me the way. How's your prayer life? Is a voice in your head saying more negative things against yourself and others and, and, and worry and going 100 miles an hour about your list of things to do or inadequacy or hopes and dreams. Is the voice in your head getting out of control? Should the voice in your head instead be saying, Dear Lord Jesus, hear my prayer? See? It's a new year. Great time to reboot your prayer life. Instead of complaining about your husband or wife, pray for them. Instead of grumbling about your kids, pray for them. Instead of feeling negative towards your neighbor or wondering where in the world the church is going, lift it up in prayer. It's a good time to do that. If you do that, if you get a prayer, you become a person of blessing. So praying. Second part of it is watch. Watch. So you pray, and then you watch. Psalm 5 verse 3 says, In the morning I lay my sacrifices, my prayers before you, and I wait In expectation. Wow. If you pray, if you ask God questions, if you cast your cares upon Him, you got to give Him some room to answer. And you got to watch for the answers. And the place to watch first is in His Word. In His Word. Listening to His Word like you're doing now in church. Reading His Word. Before my morning runs, as the river of complaint was coming to a close with prayer, I would open the Bible and I would read through the Psalms. You know, the Psalms is the Bible's prayer book. And I'd recommend if you're not actively in the Scriptures right now, just read the Psalms. Just start off and see how real they are, how authentic they are. And you don't have to read a whole Psalm. I would stop sometimes just one line or half a verse and say, Whoa, look at that. I need that. And I'd go off on my run and let that just dwell in me richly. So when you watch, start with the Word. Again, it's a new year. If you have fallen a little bit back on your scripture reading, gosh, we have so much access to the Bible now and our devices and everywhere. Start with the Psalms. Just pick it up. Just read the Word. The Word is living and active. It's powerful. It cleanses the soul. It it brings God's wisdom. You know, you heard the wisdom of God that Solomon asked for in the first reading. You heard how Jesus grew in wisdom. The, The Word gives you wisdom. The Word shows you the way. The only reason the wise men were able to find Jesus is because they were reading the Scriptures. And they saw what God was preparing for them. So watch. Read the Scriptures. Hear the wisdom from other wise people in your life. Look and see what God is doing. See how He's changing your heart and teaching you and growing you through adversity. See the miracles that God will do. If you want to become a person of blessing, pray and watch. Now you might be saying to yourself, that is really tough. How how can I do that? I mean, I'm a pretty stubborn individual. This is going to be... How can I change? Let's look at the picture again, the close-up again. Can we put that up there? See this? See how they're huddled around Jesus? You know, what's happening is They're not so much huddling. Jesus is drawing them close. He's drawing them close. You see, the only way you can become a person of blessing is because you first have been blessed. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, grumblers, negative, bitter, angry, holding grudges, stubborn. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He drew you close. He pulled you in from an orbit that would spin out of control into that beautiful picture you see on the screen, gathered around Christ, who is at the center. Imagine that. Jesus has forgiven you. Think about you. Really think about you. Think about the things, the thoughts no one else knows. Think about the actions, the words in your life that maybe the church people don't hear, but they're happening, or they've happened. Think about your life. Jesus has forgiven you. He's let it go. We hear the beautiful prophecy in Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, here's hopeful words, by His wounds, church, we are healed. The only way we become people of blessing is because we've been so blessed. The only way you and I can love is because we've been so loved The only way you and I can live in new beginnings is because we've been given a new beginning through Christ. He has drawn us in, drawn us close. Folks, consider that Jesus' parting Christmas gift. It's the last day of Christmas. That's His parting Christmas gift to you to take you away from grumbling. To make you, to make your church, a church of blessing. One little footnote before I end. You heard at the Gospel reading, at the beginning, Jesus grew in wisdom. And at the end, it says that too, Jesus grew. Those are two different words for grow. The first one for grow is like a normal plant, growing beautifully nourished. Oh, it's so nice. A flower coming to blossom. That's one way to grow. And God feeds you, He grows you that way. But He grows you another way. The second way, the last verse. It says Jesus grew, increased. That word means to grow in the face of of struggle and opposition. It's like a boat being buffeted by waves. Jesus also grew by facing the worst struggles he would ever see. And saving you and me. And rising from the dead to let you know that no matter what's buffeting you as an individual, as a church, no matter what, you will rise again. You have great hope. You're a person of blessing today. Transformed by the word. It's a fact. I pray God gives you his spirit and strength to live that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for drawing us close through your Son. Change us today. Lift us up. Lift up this church. Show your goodness, the great gift, of blessing life, and the power of the resurrection. We trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.